Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 311 of So You Want to Be a Writer, the podcast that's all about the world of writing and publishing. I'm Valerie Koo, CEO of the Australian Writer Centre, where you'll find writing courses and an awesome, supportive writing community. And I'm here with my co-host, Alison Tate, also known as A.L. Tate, author of the popular Mapmaker Chronicles and Adaban Cipher book series. How are you, Al? I'm okay, Val. That's yep. good. I'm, What's happening yep. in our world? Well, we're just we're nearly at the end of the year. We've oh, just about made it. it. How did that happen? I don't know. Wow. I don't, Where did I don't it go? know. I, just, I don't know. I have don't you done know. your Christmas shopping? Um, yes. Wow. <laughs> Way to make someone feel inadequate. Well, you know, when you have the the smaller smaller persons that you have to manage as well, you you need to get it done. Yeah. There can be no last minute, mm. you know, when there's stuff that has to be yes, organised. Yes. Well, and done. If there are other people who are not like you and <laughs> more like me. <laughs> Do you know? I have to tell you this, just just to make you feel totally inadequate. Go um, on. So when I when the boys were younger, so they're older now, so it's not quite as you know traumatic as it used mm. to be for me. The whole Christmas arrangement, mm. um, but when they were younger, I used to have it all done and dusted by the first of October. Oh my god! All of it, hey. everything. Yeah, that's insane. Well, you kind of have to like because I had to, um, I had to sort of organise like because there were big sales around that time. Oh, so yeah. if you're buying sort of you know if you're having to manage you know Santa and all that kind of mm. stuff, um, there was big sales and stuff. So I used to just work it all out and then get it all done and dusted, and then I would generally lay by it because this that was, we're talking oh, ten yeah. years ago. I could lay by it and leave it at the shop until and pick it up on the you know twenty third of December, oh. which was just fantastic That's so much so organized i'm usually but a you can't really do it anymore kind of girl yeah well i'm uh yeah i'm i'm nowhere near where you are at the moment mm. uh, my poor little pets they get their santa sacks but they <laughs> each of them has a santa sack even the ones a that are yeah you know are you the, serious yeah well you know there's the uh, uh, a sock thing yeah, I know what they are. Yeah. A stocking, a Christmas yeah, stocking. stocking. That's what I mean. Yeah, 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 yeah. I yeah, just wonder what you have. Procrastinate oh, is lucky to get a bone. Oh, no. They get like <laughs> With a bow five on it. presents each. God, do they? At least, like, you know, uh, treats. Don't, please don't tell Procrastinate Pop because mm-hmm. he will be at me. There'll be another one on my. Then I'll have to add someone else to my list. It'll be traumatic for me. <laughs> well, even our ones who've gone to heaven get their Santa sacks. And, and, you know, so it's really? all laid out there. Yeah. We, wow. Yeah, we love them. Okay. I know. Yeah, okay. anyway. <laughs> so Let's just leave that right there. If you're more like me and not like Al <laughs> and are less organised, then I highly recommend a gift voucher from the Australian Writers' Centre for <laughs> those people who are writers in your life because then they can choose. Pets. Yeah, or you can buy a gift voucher for your pets. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> so you can find them at writerscenter.com.au slash, slash gift hyphen vouchers. But just go to writerscenter.com.au and you'll see the link um, uh, that will take you straight to the gift vouchers. But let's move on to a great post that Alison did. Hey, Al? It was a great post. I love these kind of posts. They are the easiest posts of my entire year. So they that's are so very useful. 
very fun posts for me. Um, so every year I um, I do a my the top ten posts about writing uh, from my blog. So the top ten most popular. This is what you know you're all coming to look at and what the what the search engine is is bringing my way. Um, so I always find it quite interesting because there's a few you know greatest hits that are always on the list, mm. and then you know we have we've had a couple of you know have come through with a bullet this year, which has been quite an interesting thing. Um, and as I pointed out in the in the post, I haven't actually written a huge number of posts this year. It's been quite an interesting year for me from a blog perspective because obviously I um you know, I do keep a regular blog, but the it has it's it's less regular than it used to be just because of all the other calls on my time. And I was thinking to myself, what have I been doing? So I wrote down what I had been doing so that I could figure out why I had not written as many posts about writing. And this is what I have been doing. Okay, you ready for this? Because yeah. I wanted to lie down after I'd read it. Um, okay. So I worked out that I've written around 150,000 words in 2019, and that's just the fiction, not the blog posts, guest posts, freelance articles, media releases, social media updates, and various oh other bits God. and pieces that I write. In addition, I visited 20-odd schools, presented at eight events and festivals, acted as an MS Readathon ambassador, celebrated the 1 million downloads mark for the So You Want to Be a Writer podcast, helped create the second Shellhaven Readers and Writers Festival, and launched So Well, <laughs> mostly wrote and launched So You Want to Be a Writer the book. So, with my new novel on the way in 2020, I'm taking some time out now and I'm going to have a really big, serious lie down. So, that's, yeah, okay, so once I wrote all that down and actually put it into writing, I thought, yeah, I can see why I haven't written quite as many posts um, about writing this year. And there's still been a lot of regular content on my blog, but it's just not been that real specific, you know, instructional. Anyway, mm-hmm. let's talk about the top 10, though. So, this is quite an interesting rundown on what people are looking for. Yes. So, number 10 was six tips for getting back into the swing with your writing, always very, very popular. That was where we sort of talked a little bit about procrastination in the last episode, and this sort of, you know, goes to that a bit. Uh, number nine was the six C's of writing a novel, and that is one that I did write this year. So the six things that you know, starting with C, that you need uh, to write a novel. Uh, number eight was uh, it was actually a guest post uh, by Kate Toon, and it was six skills you need to make it as a copywriter, mm-hmm. and that is one that comes up, you know, a lot. And I've, the other thing I noticed when I put all these in is I've got a real thing for six because number yes. seven is the six reasons you should start writing your novel now and that is one of the greatest hits. That one comes up every single year, six reasons you should start writing your novel now. Um, number six is 12 writing books for teen writers. So that's a post from this year um, and that came out of a – that was an interesting one because it came out of I did a, a little kind of uh, – I, I started to do some – um, workshops and things for older older kids mm. um, and I also started doing a bit of mentoring with a couple of local kids and these were the sorts of books that I was recommending and I was like oh I should probably recommend these to everyone so I wrote the post mm. 12 writing books that you know for younger writers that, that they might be interested in um, number five is what publishers really want in their own words and uh, that's a post that kind of basically links to three uh, podcast episodes that we've done with where we spoke to publishers about what they wanted. Uh, Number four was how to edit your own writing, five top tips from an editor. 
Number three was how to edit your own writing, five top tips from a writer. Mm -hmm. So editing is obviously on everyone's mind. Mm -hmm. Number two was a very interesting one, and I I really liked this post, how to tell if your writing is good enough. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was one of those posts where I asked a whole bunch of, you know, top Australian children's and YA authors how they know when it's ready, like when it's good and when they can send it off. Uh, so that was a really, you know, interesting post. I, I wasn't really surprised to see that one, you know, generate interest. And number one, which is the perennial number one favourite, is mm. how to get the words written top 10 tips for writers. Wow. Um, and, again, doesn't surprise me. So, um, you know, you can sort of see the areas that people are, are searching and interested in and um, I'm always fascinated to see what, what sort of comes out on those lists every year. So I just thought I'd share them with you. You can find uh, the link at alisontate.com and we'll put the link in the show notes. Um, so if you want to read, you know, all or any of those posts, go go and have a look at them because there's um, a lot of really useful information in those posts, not just from me but from a whole bunch of other authors as well. So enjoy. So I want to just talk about how to get the words written. Now, you t- you have said there are 10 tips for writers, but if you had to pick your favourite two, what oh, really? would they be? Yeah. Just don't, don't you know I'm terrible, terrible, terrible at, you know, favourite anything? Well, me too. My favourite two. Um, well, the first one is always that you will never find the time to write. You have yes. to make the time. That is, that's all above and beyond always, you know, everyone's always telling me how they want to write a book. How do you find time to write a book, Aldic? How do you, uh, well, you don't, you actually have to make it and you have to find, you know, you have to actually get your diary out, prioritize it. You've got to look at when, when the best time for you to write is going to be. That time is probably not going to be convenient. You are going to have to actually negotiate around that and have a look at stuff. Um, and the other one I think is, uh, probably, I think my two favourites are probably the top the top two in my list of top ten, right. really. Um, the second one would be to use the time that you have, not the time you wish you yeah. had. So everybody's so always true. like, I'm just going to, like I'm going to work four days a week and I'm going to have one whole day to write. And I'm mm. like, no, that's, you know, but you just actually need to use the 24 hours in the day that you have now. Yeah. You've got to, you know, make the space in that 24 hours because if you wait till the kids are old enough, if you wait till you retire, if you wait, you know, for the perfect time, the perfect place, the perfect whatever, um, you're not going to do it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that one of the best things that you've coined is writing in snatched time. Mm. And I use it all the time. I think it is so useful because there are so many bits of snatched time, whether you're waiting for the kids at soccer, whether you're on the bus, you know, get some kind of device that you can type on, whether you're whatever, Mm. just snatched time is great. And one um, uh, tool that I discovered only yesterday, actually, and sorry, but it's only for iPhone users, Mm. but um, the new iPhone, well, the new iOS, so provided you've upgraded, not to, um, I mean, my phone's only like an iPhone 7. I don't have the 11 or whatever, but I have the new iOS. And the microphone function in terms of the dictation was ridiculously accurate even oh. in a noisy environment. Okay, so, that's good to um, know. Play with that, experiment with that, because I was shocked at how really good it was, you know. Um, and I, right. it's a, they've always been a microphone function, but I, I, they seem to have upgraded it and used, you know, um, uh, it's definitely worth trying out. 
Can we just talk briefly, like, I'm just going to segue here into my current pet hate because can we talk about the Memoji thing on the new iOS update that appears in your keyboard function? What? Have you not noticed it? No, what do you mean? Oh, this, if you haven't noticed it, Val, we've got nothing to talk about. Sorry. Moving right along. I hate it. It's a new thing that's in your emoji keyboard and it's it shows up at the front of your of your emojis. I can't I've turned it off several times, I thought, and it keeps coming back and I absolutely despise it. So if anybody from Apple is listening to this, please (laughs) remove it. It is awful. All right, we have three copies of Last Christmas to give away uh, in our competition by Greg Wise and Emma Thompson. Bill Bailey, Amelia Clark, Olivia Coleman, Caitlin Moran, Meryl Streep, Emily Watson, actors, charity workers, singers and refugees share their memories of Christmas's past and their hopes for the future ones. Uh, the, this gem of a book, introduced and curated by Emma Thompson and Greg Wise, celebrates the importance of kindness and generosity, acceptance and tolerance, and shows us that these values are not just for Christmas. As soon as I saw this book, I knew that we had to include it in a giveaway for Christmas, and now you have it. So you could win one of three copies. Entries close on the 23rd of December. Uh, So make sure you go to writerscentercomau slash win and uh, follow the instructions there. So that's writercentercomau slash win. Now, Al, are you ready for the word of the week? Oh, you didn't give me the big dramatic opening. Al, <laughs> are you ready for the word of the week? All right, I'll try it again. Try it Al, again. are you ready for the word of the week? Val, I'm so ready. Awesome. How's it's that? Good. Quiescent. Or you could oh. pronounce it quiescent, but I think it's quiescent. Could be That's quiescent. Q-U-I-E-S-C-E-N-T. Mm. What do I you think, think it's quiescent. Oh, yeah. Because it comes from acquiescent. Damn it. Am I right? <laughs> you are so right. I can't believe I said that. Are you right? All right. I'm right. Quiescent. Quiescent. It comes from the word Quiet. <laughs> and is from the Latin meaning to rest. It can also mean inactive or motionless. So you might say the normally quiescent voters in the northwest of the country were in full force to protest against the proposed mine. Quiescent. Mm. Okay. There you go. What would I do without your pronunciation tips, Al? I don't know. I'm... (laughs) I'm at a loss to even begin to explain. Let's move on to our writer in residence this week. This week we talked to Lisa Jewell, who's the internationally best-selling author of 16 novels, including the New York Times bestseller, Then She Was Gone, as well as I Found You and The House We Grew Up In. She has now released her latest novel, The Family Upstairs, and we have a great old chat with her. Let's have a listen to Lisa. Thanks so much for joining us today, Lisa. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, we're talking to you, well, I'm in Sydney, Australia, but you are in the UK, so thank you for taking the time to have this chat with us. Congratulations on The Family Upstairs and Their Secrets Are Deadly, this is, on my copy anyway. Um, what for, for those readers who haven't read the book yet, can you tell us what it's about? 
yes, I can tell you what it's about. I could tell you in a nutshell, or I could give you a slightly longer version. Um, Go in a nutshell. For it. Yep. Well, nut- nutshell or longer version? Longer version. Right, the longer version. Okay, so it's basically, it's about three people. Uh, The first person we meet is Libby. She's 25. She lives in St. Albans. She's been selling kitchens for a living. Uh, She lives in a tiny flat. She has a very quiet life. Uh, She she was adopted as a baby and she knows on her 25th birthday she's going to get something that's been held in trust for her by her birth parents. And she discovers on her 25th birthday that what she has inherited from her birth parents is an eight-bedroom mansion in (laughs) Chelsea. Mm-hmm. Um, the next person we meet is Lucy. Now, Lucy is living hand to mouth with two small children in the south of France. She's essentially homeless. Um, and she gets a reminder on her phone one day while she's trying to sleep under a motorway um, that the baby is 25. Mm. So we kind of know there's some connection, but we're not quite sure what it is. Uh, the third person we meet is Henry. Henry is a 10-year-old boy living in a an eight-bedroom mansion in Chelsea um, in the late 80s. His parents are sort of um, kind of vacuous socialite types with big holes in their life where meaning should be. And um, his mother has a bit of a crisis and attempts to fill the holes in her life by inviting some strange people to come and live in their house um, and thus putting into motion a series of horrible, dark events that change everything. Mm. Um, Yeah, so it's really the book is about tying up these three stories and working out how they all fit together um, and finding out the secret behind. So when Libby is uh, found as a baby in this house in Chelsea, Mm. there are three dead bodies in the kitchen downstairs. So that's, that's the starting point of the book. Now, it is a fairly complex premise and it's not something that just sort of pops into your head as you're going to the supermarket how in the world did you <laughs> um, well, I decide can, on this? I have to be honest and say it did pop into my head while I was going to the supermarket. <laughs> not, 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 not exactly going to the supermarket, but I saw this lady in the south of France um, sneaking her children into the private shower block of a members beach club. Um, and she was she looked very anxious. She looked very worried. She clearly was not a member of this beach club and should not have been using their showers. Um, and... Yeah, she just, I couldn't stop thinking about her. I just felt she looked like somebody who had a story. She looked like somebody who had a history. Um, So I, I, yeah, I got back to London. I couldn't stop thinking about this lady. And then, yeah, walking to the supermarket, taking the children to school, (laughs) layers and layers built up in my head of uh, where, where was this lady escaping from? Maybe a terrible childhood trauma. Where would that tra- childhood trauma have taken place? Maybe in a huge house in Chelsea. So that's sort of, yeah, rather than sort of sitting down with a pen and a paper and thinking, yes. right, I'm going to have some amazing ideas and write them all down and it's all going to make immediate sense to me. <laughs> it very much was sort of dribs and drabs and just letting the whole thing build up in my head. Now, can you tell me some kind of um, timeline for that gestation period? Like, uh, like when you saw the lady and then how long did you think about it before you yeah. started really writing proper things down and then and then how long did it take to write your first draft so i saw that lady in july 2017 i was at halfway through writing another book at the time uh thought about her all the way through July, all the way through August. Then I had a meeting with my editor at the beginning of September 2017. 
And I was so desperate to start writing this story by then um, that I said, please, 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 can I dump the book that I'm halfway through writing and start this other book instead because I'm so excited about it. (gasps) And I thought, because I'd just had a number one bestseller in the UK at this Mm. point, so I thought I was going to be flavor of the month and she'd let me do whatever I wanted. (laughs) Um, But actually, when you've had a number one bestseller, your publishers really, really, really just want you to deliver another book as quickly as possible. So she basically said, "Uh, no, sorry, can you... (laughs) get this other one finished first and then you can start that so I finished I finished the book I was halfway through in December 2017 so I started writing this in sort of early spring 2018 um and I when did I finish it I didn't finish it in fact until early this year so yeah 12 12 months later I had my first draft fantastic so yeah I really did have to do a bit of um yeah be a bit patient with this one. <laughs> now, I am fascinated by your story because you went and you studied fashion illustration and communication. How so, random is that? <laughs> <laughs> so, and started working in fashion. <laughs> so, yeah. oh, did when did you know that you wanted to write and when did you start doing something about it? Okay, well, when I was a child, I would like I wanted to be a writer, as many many bookish children do. Mm-hmm. Um, I quickly forgot about wanting to be a writer when I became a teenager, and I spent years and years being obsessed with music. I was just that was all. I was all about music for many years, um, and I did. I stopped reading as well. I didn't pick up a book after the age of thirteen. I don't think. Um, and then I married quite young, my first husband. It was a it was a pretty bad marriage, but one good thing that came out of that marriage was I got back into reading again because he was very book, bookish. And I got very much back into reading. I was reading quite masculine books because he was giving me books off his bookshelf to read. And I just kept getting this feeling that there was a, woman, a female voice missing from everything that I was reading. Um and then I um, I left left the husband mm. um, eventually after five years. And one of the things that I did to celebrate my freedom, and it very much was freedom in comparison to what the marriage itself had been like, uh, was to sign up for some creative writing lessons. Wow. Um, not with a view of like, I'm going to do this creative writing course and then I'm going to go off and become a published author. Not at all. It was very much, I've been trapped in this marriage. I've been trapped in the suburbs. I want to do something fun and silly and exciting. Mm. Um, yeah, so that sort of, it all started kind of percolating again, this idea that I'd had as a child that I'd like to write something. Um and then I read on holiday, I just, I was working as a secretary in the fashion industry at this point, And I read on holiday, just after losing my job, um, High Fidelity by mm. Nick Hawkeby. And I had that feeling again, of there is a female voice out there that I'm not hearing. And I thought it was a female equivalent of Nick Hornby as a voice I'm not hearing. Um, and then I had this amazingly fortuitous conversation with a friend of my husband's, second husband, second husband, good husband, um, <laughs> on this on, on this holiday mm-hmm. um, about, you know, I'd lost my job as a secretary and I was going to go back to London and start temping. And she said, you know, oftentimes people, when they've lost their job, they use it as an opportunity to change the direction of their life. Is there anything else that you'd like to be doing? And I said, well, I think I'd quite like to write a book. Mm. Um, and she, this, this lady is Australian. So of course she's amazing. And she, um, <laughs> she made, she made me 
take her up on a bet that I would write three chapters and then if I did that she'd take me out for dinner to my favorite restaurant um <laughs> and she did I did write the three chapters she did take me out for dinner to my favorite restaurant and that was the first three chapters of my first published book wow so yes that's how it all that's how it all panned out oh <laughs> it's quite a strange a strange journey God. and so with um with the genre that you're writing in the family upstairs um have you are these the kind of books that you read or are you the kind of person who watches law and order or watches psychological thrillers is this kind of what occupies your brain oh uh, you mean the reading and the watching these of sorts of stories oh, yeah whatever you yes, know yes yes i'm very much a fan of the sort of books that i write and um you know the lot of the three of my books um of my last the last tranche of my books of the psychological thrillers are under option in Hollywood to be made into mm. six part series mm. so clearly you know the fact that I love watching um, yes. thriller, thrillers on the TV has, has, has sort of made itself felt in the fact that my books uh, producers in Hollywood are seeing them as possible TV shows as well so it's obviously all sort of in there uh, the fact that I read a lot and watch a lot of this sort of thing um, yeah I'm not very um, wide ranging in my taste I have to say <laughs> I am quite quite narrow. <laughs> okay, so you see this lady trying to get into the bathroom. Yeah. Now that is obviously the seed of the an idea, but I'm always amazed, really, at people who can write these sorts of stories because there's so many layers, including um, a plot that has to make sense, a plot that has to be so incredibly satisfying because yeah. the, 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 the thriller aspect or the, you know, the, the pay, the, the uncovering is such an important yeah. part of this sort of story. So how do you go about determining yeah. what happens? Do you pl plot it all out? Do you think about it? Yeah on the way to the supermarket or many trips yeah. to the supermarket or yeah, yeah, just, or what? <laughs> <laughs> um, right. So most of, I, I occasionally have a really good idea when I'm in the shower, there's mm. something about being in the shower, oh, I agree. Um, the white, the white noise of the water over your head. And just, I occasionally have a light bulb moment. Um, but most of my working out and plotting and deciding what to reveal and deciding what happens next happens while I'm writing it down mm. um so I'm a writer who has an idea has an idea for a book gets it as as complex inside my head as I possibly can without my brain exploding mm. um and then I can't I've tried planning it out I've tried sitting there with a notepad and sort of trying to work out what happens in advance and I can't do that really? so I get my I get my brain to bursting point with an idea and then I start writing chapter one and then I write a thousand words a day, every day until I've got 80, 90, a hundred thousand words. Wow. Uh, I, I just keep going. I, that's the only way I can stand a chance of, of um, working out what my story is and how I want to tell it is to actually just tell it, um, which, which might sound quite nice, <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, it actually really isn't very nice at all. I would much, much rather be the sort of writer who could refer to a notebook in which yeah. I made some notes earlier that might help me out and tell me what I should be doing at this point. <laughs> um, but no, I'm, I'm not that sort of writer at all. Unfortunately, it's, it's all pretty, pretty chaotic from my end. <laughs> So <laughs> Which if, is why it's, it's a miracle every single time I get to the end of the book and I give it to someone and it makes sense. It's like, wow. <laughs> so have you ever written yourself into a hole that you just couldn't get out of your, then you yeah. had to chuck it? Oh, 
no actually and that's quite a good thing about writing a thousand words a day is it's just enough to move you ahead it's like half a chapter half a long chapter or a full Mm. chapter short chapter Mm. it's just enough to move you ahead enough to keep the momentum going but it's not so much that if you were going in the wrong direction, you'd lose, uh, you know, 20,000 words. Yeah. Um, it's been a long time since I've had to cut an awful lot out because I was, which makes me think that maybe yeah. I'm getting better at it. I don't know. <laughs> but certainly in my earlier books, I would write myself into terrible, terrible holes and have to cut 20, 30, 40,000 oh, words wow. out. Um, but mm. no, these days <clears throat> I can feel very, very quickly if I've, if I've headed off down the wrong mm. the wrong path, now and if you if you if you're constantly thinking about these stories, you know, like you know, as you've said, you know, this this baby is found with dead bodies surrounding yeah. in the same house, um, and you are immersed in this world of what you watch and what you read. Is that a dark place to be hanging out? Well, it's it's odd actually because generally speaking, I don't feel affected in that way. I'm I'm I, I'm very I'm very good at compartmentalizing my writing mm. and keeping it very separate from everything else. Um, but with this book, I was we we had to move out of our house for eight months to have it renovated, and we moved into this beautiful flat in Hampstead Village. Um, and I was so excited about going to live in this beautiful flat. Um, and there was something really wrong about the atmosphere in this place. Really? Um, yeah, there was some really weird people living. It was a, a, a flat in a converted house, and there were some really strange people living in this house who all had a really weird aura. <laughs> um, I kept getting ill. In the space of eight months, I got four head colds and a really bad bout of flu, and I never, ever, ever get ill. Um and so whenever I think about the writing of this, and it was in the winter as well, and it was a pretty long, cold, nasty winter. So whenever I think about the writing of this book, I just feel, oh, this shiver goes through me because everything just, and I see, and I don't know if it was the book mm. informing informing my psychology <laughs> or if my surroundings were informing my psychology and it was nothing to do with the book. But yeah, this one very much feels like I was in a dark place when I wrote it. Yeah, um, but, but generally speaking, I can, you know, I can write a, a, a scene of a, of a teenage girl dying in a basement <clears throat> and then uh, five minutes later be sort of ordering a hot chocolate and, <laughs> and going onto Facebook and not even thinking about it. So yeah, I, I'm not quite sure where I sit on that. Okay. So you write you commit to a thousand words a day. So, do you have any kind of writing routine? Like, maybe if you can describe if you've got any rituals or how your day kind of looks. So, on a practical level, yeah. we can see how those thousand words come out. And also, if you crack the thousand words, yeah. you know, by 10 a.m., do you take the day off? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, yes, it's funny because I look back at things I've written over the years about my writing day and I, I look at something from three years ago or six years ago or 10 years ago and I just mm. think, wow, it just keeps changing. So I can only talk about how I'm, I've been writing for the last year or so, sure. um, which is that in the morning after I've done schooly stuff, mm. um, I will um, – sit with my laptop in the kitchen at the table with a big cup of tea and do all my emails, uh, do all my bits and pieces that have been bothering me. Um, And then I will take my laptop to the cafe over the road at lunchtime, uh, order avocado toast. (laughs) 
because I was going to say I'm, I'm a cliche, but I'm not. I'm, I'm, I'm not millennial at all, but I have millennial lunch tastes. Um, uh, avocado toast. Uh, when I've eaten that, I will start writing, and I will write for. I'm generally in the cafe for about two to three hours, um, and generally by the time I've written, I'm at the moment I'm writing about 1,200 words a day because I'm slightly behind. Um, but yeah, no, I don't. I don't think. Oh, I've I've finished early, so I can write another thousand words. I don't think that. I think. Oh, I finished early. I'm going to go home. Um, <laughs> I, it, a thousand words a day just feels just feels right to me, especially mm. in terms of what I was talking about earlier. If you get too far ahead of yourself and you write too fast, you can just find yourself, yeah, going heading off in the wrong direction completely. Um, so yes, that's it. Thousand words, maybe twelve hundred, and then then I go home. So do you finish your it. thousand words before school comes? School comes back. Yes. Oh, yes. that's, and that's and that mm. that's a ticking clock. That's a ticking clock. And at the moment, it's great because uh, uh, my girls are much older now, and they don't get back from school till four thirty, five o'clock. But before, obviously, I'd have to be ready to pick them up from school at three thirty. Now they make their own way home, but I want to be home when they get home. That's very important to me, um, and that's one of the the most incredible things about being a writer as a job is being able to yeah. have a career yet yet be be mum and just be present and and never miss out on anything. Um, yeah, so the day is a bit freer for me now, but um, I'm still pretty disciplined with yeah. it. So you were working in fashion and then you, your friend says, hey, write these three yeah. chapters, I'll take you out for dinner. You must have really wanted that yes. dinner. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but did you then think I'm going to go back to fashion or, you well, know, did what, you make a decision? Well, what actually happened was, uh, you know, um, I wrote I wrote this book um, well, I wrote the three chapters and I sent them off to some agents and they all rejected it. And that was absolutely fine because this was all just a bit of a joke, really. Mm. Um, it was, still wasn't part of some serious intent to become a published author. But then the the last agent took her time to reply, but she finally did about six months later, completely out of the blue. I was temping at the time. Mm. I was back being a secretary and um, said that she'd like to take it on if I could rewrite it Um I oh, know that's what she wanted me to. She wanted to see the rest. Obviously, mm. I hadn't written the rest. <laughs> um, so my life had to change. My husband was amazing. He uh, well, he wasn't my husband at this point, um, but he. I was going to actually ignore this letter because I hadn't written the book and I couldn't see how I could possibly find time to write a book. Mm. And he said, "Are you mad? You know, nobody gets letters from literary agents saying, can I see the rest of your book?'" Mm. So, um, so I didn't have to pay rent anymore. He invited me to come and live with him, and he would cover the mortgage. Mm. Um, and I, yeah, so I finished the book. Um, I delivered it back to this agent a year after she'd first sent me that letter. Wow. And so all this time I'd been temping. I was still a secretary for the whole duration right. of the year that I was writing the book. And um, then she got me a six-figure publishing deal with oh Penguin. Um, so I'd gone from temping for <laughs> five pounds an hour or whatever it was I was earning, like nothing, to suddenly having all this money in the bank mm. and it was a two book contract so I knew that I had money coming into the bank for at least another year mm. and so it was a bit of a no-brainer really for me yes. to and because I didn't have a, a permanent job as well it was I yeah. was only a temp so I just um yeah I said goodbye to everybody <laughs> in but the did, office I, I realized <laughs> I, that, full time. I realized that you were temping but obviously at some point because you did fashion illustration and you wanted to get into fashion, yeah. um, at some point did you did you I mean did you ever think I 
I'd like to go back to fashion one day or? No, because I really didn't. So I did this course, this fashion illustration and promotion. I ended up working at Warehouse, which is a British uh, high street retail chain. I worked in their head office in their pattern cutting room. And then I worked in their PR department and I was there for five years. Um, and by the end of that five years, I was just over it. I right. just five years working with, I hate to say this, but women um, getting very, very worked up about things that I no longer cared about. <laughs> you know, I, I love clothes, but I can't care about them to the degree that people who work in the fashion industry need to care about clothes. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so I was over fashion. In fact, when I um, started writing my first novel, um, the, the job that I just lost was working for a shirt making company, a German street shirt making company. So I had, wasn't even I'd sort of moved across from fashion into just plain old clothes by that point. Um, yeah, so no, I have never wanted to return okay. to the world of fashion, <laughs> but now, I do love clothes. <laughs> you've got different chapters in this book. You've got different chapters from different points of view or with different points of view. Um, and so you, how did you go about developing your characters so that their voices were really strong and distinct in this book? Did you keep some kind of dossier? Did you form them in your head, just keep them in your head, or did yeah. you flesh them everything out some other Everything is way? in my head. Yeah, oh, no, everything God. just stays in my head. I don't have anything. I have no evidence anywhere in the world of any <laughs> book I've ever written apart from apart from the, the, the document on my um, computer, oh my which God. contains the book. There's no, there's nothing. Um, I do, when, once I get quite a long way into the book, I do need to start keeping lists of people's birthdays, eye colour, mm. um, things like that. Because if you're forever describing someone's eyes and you need to remember what colour their eyes were. And, you know, if, if you're going through the years, you need to remember how old people are and, and mm. that sort of thing. Um, but, uh, yeah, so in terms of the characters, that's that's the thing that I'm really good at mm. <laughs> as a writer. Or when I say really good at, that's the thing that I don't have to try. Right. I don't feel I have to well I have to work really really hard at plotting and work really really hard at you know keeping keeping the um the tension and the suspense mm. going I don't have to work hard at all at getting my characters onto the page in a proper fully formed way um that would go I wouldn't write and that's the thing it's all about the people you choose to tell the story that you want to tell and there's myriad yeah there's infinite amounts of people within any story that you could choose mm. to be the person to tell that story mm. um and it's all about choosing the right people and I just felt I get a very strong sense of who the people are that should be telling the story and once I've had that sense then they're with me and I know mm. them and I, I can just get on with it so if that part's easy for you, you were saying that you find it, you have to try really, really hard to keep the tension going, yeah. you know, at the right pace. So um, what does that look like in terms of, do you spew out a first draft and then have to go and fix the bits yeah. that you're not so good at? Or do you have some I, kind of yes. instinct for tension because this, that kind of like, these are the books that you wrote? Yeah, I mean, I do spew, spew out a first draft. I write it in about three months. Mm. I do a very, very, very polished first draft, though, in as much as I could give it to you. And mm. if you didn't know what was wrong with it, you would think you were reading a book. It's not full mm. of, like, question marks mm, and mm, mm. and bit, bits that I've missed out or stuff I was going to go back to and fix later. Mm. It reads like a book, yeah. but I know that there are there are points in it that don't work properly or that don't quite make sense or add up. Um, and that's the stuff that, 
yeah so there's that there's that edit to do when once mm. you've got to the first draft point which is the things that maybe they nag at you they nag at you and you think mm. that's not I haven't developed that character enough that character is not convincing right now and you think I will go back to that and I'll add layers to that character um, and then there's the other edit which is the making it pretty edit which is the fun one mm. <laughs> yes. where you, you can just finesse your language and yes. just make it all sort of yeah nicer to read what was the most challenging thing about the writing of this book oh there was so much going on yeah there was such an awful lot going on and I didn't really understand what what was going I I, I didn't have a very clear idea of how it was all going to resolve itself the one thing in particular I had no idea about was at the beginning of the book we discover that the baby has been left in this house, mm. cared for, clean in a fresh nappy with three corpses in the kitchen downstairs. So we know that there were, there were some teenagers living in the house who've disappeared yeah. um, and never been seen seen again. Um, and I had I, I didn't know where they'd gone. I didn't know what they'd been doing. I didn't know why they'd left the house or or what the circumstances were, or how they could have disappeared and never been found. I didn't know any of these things. So I get, so I kept writing and writing and writing. Then I got to the point where I was like, okay, I've now got to explain to the reader where these people have been, what they've been doing, how they managed to disappear, why nobody ever found, never found them. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's quite that. That's when that's when it became really quite stressful, and that's yeah. when my head really really messed up for quite some time um but ah, it's just it's like a bit of magic the way you just what do you do to un to unravel it so for example and this isn't a spoiler but there's a character Mm. at the beginning of the book called dr broughton who comes to visit um henry senior after Mm. he's had a stroke and he's very important at the end of the book but i hadn't thought about him since i'd written him into that very early scene and it was while my head was was like you know swimming trying to work out what the hell the story was behind these teenagers I suddenly he just popped into my head and you might remember how he fits into the story and he was vital he was without him there was no way I could have explained it all but I Um, but I don't mean how you did you unravel it in the actual plot I mean how do you what technique do you use in your (laughs) existence No, you know? no, that's it. It was good technique. I was just right. lying there. <laughs> and I suddenly thought, oh, what about that doctor guy? What about that doctor guy that I wrote about, you know, But is that what ago? you do each time you're in this situation? Yeah. Just think yeah. and think and think until... Think the, and think and think until... until something falls out the sky and, and yeah, and, okay. and rescue. Yeah, it, it's it's not it's not very pleasant. I wouldn't no. recommend it the way of writing books. It's very stressful. Oh my god! <laughs> okay, so not only are you a number one bestseller, you're a million copy bestselling author. Now, when you fir- when your friend took you out for dinner, did you ever <laughs> think that that was going no. to happen? No, I yeah, it's it's funny. I've got a sixteen-year-old at the moment, and her main focus in life is that she would one day like to be wealthy, Um, and she's decided that the the way to go about that is probably to marry someone rich. Um, Yeah, yeah. I mean, yes, feminism never happened, Um, (laughs) but I I was the same. I was the same at her age. I would look into my future, Mm -hmm. and I could not see one possible way in which I could be successful enough to be to be wealthy in my own right. Yeah. Um, so I just thought, well, maybe if I'm really lucky, I'll meet a rich man and then I'll have this, this lifestyle. Um, so yeah, it was, um, 
absolutely beyond my I mean I, I still can't quite believe that I'm the breadwinner in my family I can't mm-hmm. quite believe that I'm in the position I'm in because I was never going to be that person yeah. I didn't have ambition I didn't have ambitions I didn't have drive I didn't have get up and go I just I was quite passive I suppose I was just going to let life happen to me um, and I still do let life happen to me on a certain mm. to a certain extent but it's all about grabbing those little moments when they're offered up to you when your friend says write me three chapters and I'll take you out for dinner yeah you know I did that and look what happened um so good friend good friend do you recall when you found out that you were over a million copies like or or did it just creep up did you just find out like six months later and went oh the front of they put it on the front of my last book yes and I was like million what do you mean by that I don't know and everyone kept going oh you've sold a million copies um actually what it means is I've sold in fact over I think it's more like two million copies in the English language I've sold four and a half Mm. million copies of all my books in every format across the world that's um so it it kind of I don't know it wasn't like a sort of bell started ringing and and you know champagne cork started popping it's just like oh okay I had no idea um because I suppose because you sell books in so many different channels, yeah, there's not sure. one definitive place where they can say, look, this is how many books you've sold. But uh, mm. yes, yeah, so it's a lovely feeling. <laughs> lovely <laughs> now, when you were halfway through writing this book, The Family Upstairs, did you have a moment where you spotted some character on the street that intrigued you that is now yes. has inspired you for the next book? Entirely correct. It oh was in the God. middle of the long, dark, endless summer in the weird flat with the weird people, oh. with the flu with the flu and the colds and what have you. Mm. And I just saw this guy walking down a hill in the snow and he just looked, I, I couldn't, there was something about him. He just looked very problematic. He looked like there was an awful lot of bad, dark stuff going down in his life and none of it was really his fault. Um, so yeah, I'm writing about him. I'm writing him a story now. Um, he, he's um, falsely accused of um, rape. Uh, oh, so that's oh. what I'm writing about. Yes, a slightly awkward, slightly uncomfortable in his own skin guy. In fact, he's a virgin in, in, my, in my book. <laughs> um, he's, yeah, uh, I would love yes. to meet these real people in real life to get their actual story and just kind of put them side by side with the, yeah. your it's story. Really boring, and disappointing. <laughs> like, oh, I wish I didn't know that now. Oh my god. Okay, so um, and finally, what are your top three tips, um, as in advice for aspiring writers who hope to be in a position like you are one day? Um, I think. It's very, very important not to expect it to be enjoyable. <laughs> um, it really, if, you, if you're doing it and you're finding it really hard mm. and you're not enjoying it and you think everything you're writing is terrible, just ignore those feelings. Just what you need to do is, is find a story that you want to tell badly enough mm. and find people whose story you want to tell badly enough to keep going and keep going and keep going even when you're having a horrible, horrible, it's not fun. Writing a book is not fun. There's lots of things about being a writer that are fun, but the actual writing isn't. Mm. Um, the, the second thing is, and I'm sure you've had this a million times, you have to finish it. Mm. You absolutely have to finish a book, even if you hate it. Start it, keep going, finish it, and then you've got something to work with. Um, and even if it ends up under your bed, 
um, you have proved that you can do something that so many people can't do, mm. which is to write an entire book. And that's something that is priceless. The experience mm. of having done that um, is priceless. Third piece of advice, um, I think it is, and this is uh, technical and slightly boring, but get off, get off the internet. Oh, go and yeah, I just turn off the internet. Don't don't have access. What I do is because obviously sometimes when you're writing, you need to check something on Google or what have you. Mm. Um, so I keep my I keep my smartphone next to my laptop. Mm. So then I've got access to the internet should I need it. But it's a it's a hassle. I have to open my phone. I have to switch it on. I have to go to the browser. Yeah. Whereas when you're writing on a screen and you've got the browser right next to your book, um, yeah, it's 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 very very difficult to stay mm. focused i think when you've got that access to another world so close to something you're finding really really difficult to do <laughs> with like any excuse to stop doing uh, yeah so those would be my three three pieces of advice brilliant advice get off the internet so everyone should get off the internet and get a hold of the family upstairs by lisa jewel congratulations on the book and thank you so thank much for you your so time much. today oh thank you so much <laughs> This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. Our hugely popular course, How to Write About Murder, is all about creating more authentic action for your crime or thriller novel. Presented by award-winning crime author Candace Fox, this course covers nine modules of fascinating detail, taking you beyond the police tape to explore what motivates killers and how they go about their business. You'll also immerse yourself in the chase, from the murder scene and autopsy to the investigation that follows. Plus, because it's one of our on-demand courses, you'll get instant access and learn at your own pace with 12 months access to all course materials. You can find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash murder course. There you go, Lisa Jewell. So, um, you know, it's a good holiday read as well because you love a good thriller over the holidays, don't you? Oh, absolutely. I do. I love it. Mm. Yep. I'm ready. Let's move on to our Facebook group. So thank you for all of you in the um, Facebook community. If you're new to us, then make sure you join the Facebook community. Just search for So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community and request to join. It's our awesome listening community. It's free to join and um, some great I think you should say community just one more time there. Community, I feel like you community. didn't quite get enough communities into community. the one section there. <laughs> Did you miss it? Did everyone get the fact that it's a it's community? It's a community. <laughs> right. So Marinda posted this um, in the community. <laughs> saying it. She said, I doubt this is an original thought, but I have decided I'm a planter. That's P-L-A-N-T-S-E-R, planter. A plotter blended with a pantser. I think things through, write down some notes and a few major plot points. Then I'll read that back looking for issues in the overall structure, all while knowing a vague endpoint. Finally, off I go, waltzing through the story, led by my characters, sorry, lead. Led. My, led by my characters, led by characters up up many, up many a random, random path, path, possibly hitting a plot point, possibly not. You might have noted that there is more of the word pantser in my new word than there is plotter, and that's very appropriate. Who is with me? Or am I just a confused chicken heading for disaster? (laughs) I find that as writers mature, the pantsers become plantsers. Just for yeah, generally generally speaking, for efficiency, particularly if Mm. you have deadlines and you have 
let's talk about series for a moment here. Mm. You definitely become a – in fact, you might also almost at that point become a plonser because, you know, if you've got a series, you're, you're actually plonser. really – Become a plonser. I actually quite like it. It's a really good That's word. A good let's be let's be plonsers together, shall we? Um, yes. Anyway, uh, so you might be that, and you might actually find you know that if you are someone who is a real plotter to start with, you then become you know a bit more pantsy as you go along too, because you start to kind of loosen up a little bit and um, not worry so much about whether you're going to fit it all in. So then you would also be a plonser. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, look, I, I just honestly feel like most authors are some combination. Plancing, plonsing, whichever end of the spectrum you might be at, yeah. um, as and particularly as you say, as they mature, um, we even talked about the fact that even even I do outlines these days. Even mm. I, um, not not um, you know, but you know, I had to write a synopsis the other day. Let's take a moment to think about the pain of this. Mm-hmm. I had to write a synopsis the other day for a book that may or may not happen. So it had yeah. to be one of those things that it was, a, you know, it had to, um, it was a potential second book in a series. Mm-hmm. So I had to think about, you know, the what had happened in the first book. I had to think about where the story might go in the third book. And then I had mm-hmm. to write a synopsis for a second book, um, you know, and I sent it off. And the document was called Vague Outline <laughs> because – you know, I, I reserve the right for the whole entire thing to change by the time I actually start writing it. So yes. there's there's that. Like I might, I could write you an entire, I could plot you out an entire novel today and then mm. when I start writing it, what I actually present you with is something, you know, vaguely in that area but probably a little bit different. Yeah. Maybe, so, maybe very different. So I think the spectrum does go pantser, plantser, plonser, plonser. <laughs> <laughs> And let's face it, plonser is your favourite. Am I not? It am is. I right? It's so you true. just like you just like the word plonser. <laughs> all right, You're such a plonser. I know. I can't wait to use it. Um, all right, we come. We're at the end of this week's episode. Oh. Where do we find you online, Al? You'll find me at alisontait.com, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T.com. You'll find me on Twitter at, at altait, A-L-T-A-I-T, and you will find me on Facebook and Instagram at Writer. And you, Valerie, where do we find you? You'll find me at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram and over at ValerieKoo.com. And, of course, please do join us uh, checking out the show notes if you would like to at soyouwanttobeariter.com.au. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writercentercomau slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentercomau slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more.